Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to the first MA podcast of 2020, a magazine show dedicated to the pub trade. I'm the Morning Advertiser's Managing Editor, Nicholas Robinson, and I'm also joined by our editor, Ed Beddington. Hello, Nick. Also on the show this month, we'll hear from the Tanner Brothers, who talk about their gastropub, the Kentish Hare, and plans for the future. Ed caught up with William Lees-Jones, the Managing Director of Pubco and brewer J.W. Lees, about the business's future plans. And our senior features writer Stuart Stone met Mike Reed, operations manager for Bell's Pubs and Restaurants, to talk all things sport. But first, we've got Ed in the studio to talk through some of the biggest news stories in the pub trade this month. Ed, what's going on? There's quite a lot going on at the moment, isn't there? Um, I think the, uh, the the key things that are coming out of Christmas is the um, has been uh, the increase in the national living wage, which obviously um, tends to have a, a disproportionate impact on the pub sector. Um, that's obviously going up from uh, £8.21 to £8.72, which um, on the face of it doesn't seem like a huge increase, but obviously when, you're, uh, when your wage bill is in that sort of space, then uh, the impact is, is, is significant. So um, that's a challenge. I think uh, we need to be careful how we react to it. I think we can't be seen to kick against it. Uh, as an industry, we don't want to uh, reinforce that sort of uh, low wage, sort of low low skill sector kind of um, uh, image any further. And I think um, a lot of operators actually, I've I've seen reaction on on social and uh, various other things to to this story. And actually, a lot of operators are already probably paying above that um, for their staff. So. Um, yeah, it, it's one to keep an eye on and one to one to be careful of, I think, as we go forward. It's going to be a case-by-case basis, isn't it? Because a lot of yeah. pubs have to remain competitive. If they increase wages, they're not necessarily going to be able to increase the prices of what they sell. Um, food in particular, which has notoriously not increased in price um, dramatically over the years anyway. In, in that sense, how are local, smaller pubs that are running on a really tight line going to manage this what, what's the best solution for them it's difficult isn't it i mean it's it's not easy to pass on costs um there's no no silver bullet for this i think um you've got to you've got to look at your uh, your efficiencies you've got to manage your uh, your costs as much as you can um if you can increase prices to a, to a certain extent then then i would i would say try and do that uh, but keep it realistic um don't shy away from the fact that you know it, it's one of those things in life isn't it um customers have to expect that uh things do go up they don't stay the same um and we shouldn't really sort of uh, back away from from confronting that issue we are businesses um much as uh, everyone else has a business you know you have to you have to reflect the realities of life of course we're going to be looking into this in more detail on the 13th of january issue in our spotlight alice leader is looking at the history of the national living wage and minimum wage and she's going to be analyzing salaries in the trade as well so more on that in the magazine this month what else is happening ed i think the the obviously uh, it's january isn't it um and with that we have the um the never-ending dry january uh, arguments and uh and debates around that. I think it's a bit of a double whammy this year. It's, it's not only the start of a new year, it's the start of a new decade. Um, and that brings with it a, a, an increased sense of uh, of optimism in some ways for people and also a, um, maybe a increased naivety about what they're going to achieve. So I suspect we will have a lot of people pledging to be uh, vegan, uh, alcohol-free, um, you know, changing their cars, all this kind of thing. So, and pubs aren't immune from that. I think there's there's a degree of um, 
Uh, well, I'd say there's more tools in our arsenal to deal with it these days. I think we've got a, a greater options and ranges and choices between in, in that uh, no and low drink sector. I think we, we talk about that enough in terms of adult soft drinks, creating a better, um, more appealing uh, opportunity there for, for operators to tap into those, those dry January um, uh, customers um, and on the vegan side I think you know we've talked about this a lot anyway you know if you're not offering a better choice of, of vegetarian and vegan um, options on the menu then you are missing a trick so we should be in a better place to, to tap into these sort of new year sort of new people uh, type pledges um, but uh, it, it's it's not straightforward it's not easy but I think we, we should be thinking about it more yeah, I mean, we, we were out in the trade a lot um, and going back two, three, even four years, um, dry January was a, a dark cloud for the trade. I, I remember, you know, January was not looked forward to, operators were struggling a fair bit, but there seems to be a bit of a turn from my perspective that we're not necessarily dreading it anymore, but we're, like you said, we've got a, a bigger arsenal of um, options out there. Consumers are still going to the on-trade because they know that they can get an interesting drink. Is that the same feeling that you get? I think it's, it's still a tough month. I think it's always going to be a tough month. You know, people don't have as much money. Uh, everyone's a bit low after after the festivities. They've perhaps overindulged. So they are cutting back. So that that's the biggest challenge, actually. I mean, forget all the noise around dry January and, and, and veganuary and all this kind of nonsense. I think there's, there's still, you can't get away from the fact that people have a little less money in their pocket they're a little bit partied out they're not really in the mood to to go out it's dark it's miserable it's cold they want to hunker in so everyone's got to work that a little bit harder to be more appealing and to uh, to create uh, you know events and activities that will get people out and interesting actually one of the things that seems to be making a bit of a comeback is um is we're sailing which um i think pete brown talked about in uh, in his column recently and I must admit, I think I may be doing that this Saturday. So uh, it is It is one of those things that, that seems to be gathering pace. It's an opportunity to go out and shout at trees, as I understand it. You're uh, going to be west sailing. I, I may well be west sailing, yes. In an orchard. In an orchard, yes, uh, at, a, at a cidery. So, uh, but that doesn't mean pubs can't do it. You know, If you can have these events, you can build these events around it, you can adapt it to your own... Um, your own business uh even if it's a case of building a bonfire in your car park you know there's there's things like this that you can create excitement and interest and it and it appeals to people that that perhaps wouldn't necessarily want to go out you know in those cold dark uh, dark nights it's it's adds a little bit of a point of difference it's got a history it's got a great story behind it it taps into those pagan rituals and rules that uh, that sort of bubble away in the background and people seem to seem to like sort of hearing about so i would say you know uh if you've got an opportunity to to pull on events like that then then do it definitely well yeah like you said it's part of that heritage of, of the uk part of the history of pubs as well um why not? It's a bit of interest, isn't it? That's a bit of fun. Yeah, and it's about cider. Exactly. More cider. Yes. Speaking of dry January, we're also supporting a, a new exhibition and conference, Lawton or Bev, aren't we, which is uh, happening later this year, and you can find out more on our website. Indeed we are. Uh, what else, Ed? I think there's, there's, there's various things. I mean, it's interesting to see the interest in uh, car scales, uh, and our, our best-selling car scales from the drinks list was uh, was very popular online, which, um, which I'm pleased about. It's... Um, it's nice to see people showing an interest in a sector that too often gets um, maybe given uh, not as much love as it should. It is a USB for pubs. We should be looking after it. We should be um, uh, 
really uh, pushing that sector, and it's certainly something that we've got plans to um, to focus on in 2020 um, and help equip you guys to uh, to make more of that category and perhaps uh, bring it uh, bring it back into the light, which um, which is vital. And of course, we had the uh, Reverse Guinness, which um, was a was a big hit. A uh, small brewery created. Uh, uh, an inverse Guinness, effectively, with uh, white body and black head, which um, sold out very quickly and um, was a surprise hit, I think, even for the brewery. So what is a reverse Guinness? I've seen the pictures of it. It looks quite interesting. I've read the story, but for our listeners, what is a reverse Guinness? Well, I think it, it, it was a bit of an experiment by um, by a brewery called Team Toxic in uh, in Liverpool. From what I've seen about it, actually, the, the, the black head is, is a bit of a gimmick, but the... Uh, the real sort of uh, star of it is the is the white beer underneath, um, which they describe as having a sort of caramel and, and chocolate kind of taste to it. But that seems to be the 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 real hit, um, and yeah, they've 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 done a fantastic job with it. They got picked up by various sort of uh, viral news uh, organisations, and yeah, they've 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 done phenomenally well and sold out. Be interesting to see whether they plan on continuing to make it. Well, I mean, if it was that popular, hopefully so. It was uh, one of the most uh, popular stories on our website in December, so obviously a lot of interest there. We'll hear more from Ed uh, this month, uh, but now it's time to talk sport. Earlier, Stuart Stone went to the Griffin Bell to meet operations manager Mike Reed to find out how homing in on a niche within football can be good for business. I'm Stuart Stone, the Morning Advertiser Senior Features Writer, and I've come to the Griffin Bell in Vauxhall, South London, to speak to Mike Reed, Operations Director of Bell Pubs and Restaurants. The Griffin Bell has become a London home for fans of Brazilian football team Flamengo, whose run to the final of South America's answer to the Champions League, the Copa Libertadores, where they beat Argentine holders River Plate 2-1, saw the pub packed out by fans of a team playing thousands of miles away until the early hours. I spoke to Mike about the Griffin Bell's relationship with Brazilian football fans, as well as Amazon's Premier League debut, Anthony Joshua becoming a two-time heavyweight champion, and more. Okay, so let's start with Flamengo. They're winning, running the Copa Libertadores, and their fans' relationship with the Griffin Bell. How did you first become involved with Flamengo's fan group in London? Um, well, we're a little local pub here in uh, in Vauxhall. Um, we've been open uh, about a year, um, and it was just one of our one of our customers came in. I think he was having a Sunday roast actually, uh, and he asked the question. Um, oh, do you guys ever show any Brazilian football? And we said, well, of course, we can show any sport that uh, any sport that you like. Um, and he was actually um, one of the, the members of the fan club, uh, the president. Um, so he arranged with the manager to come down the following Sunday, where there was a group of five or six of them. Um, he, he hooked up a laptop onto a screen, uh, and they watched their game, and they thought, brilliant. Um, they loved it. They love this. Oh, this is fantastic space. Oh, you know, are we able to come again? Because a lot of the pubs just usually give over to the traditional premiership game. Mm. That's it. That's all they'll show. But with, with our you know, facilities that we've got, we can put on multi-sports at, you know, at any one time. So we said, yeah, of course, you know, um, how many people would you think? Oh, well, if, if you can do it, we'll bring down 20. I mean, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, the next week you brought down 20. And it just slowly built up from there. Um, that's having a good relationship with the, the, the staff and the manager on site. Um, they always let us know in advance you know, when their games are going to be. Um, and they do, they come in, they spend well, they eat food, they, 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 they buy beer, uh, they behave themselves. Uh, and it went on from then. And then as the season progressed, um, Flamengo were doing um, very well in the league. Uh, they were progressing through the Copa de Libertadores and, uh, you know, 
he, he gave he, he gave the pub uh, an idea. He said, look, if they do get through, there was a semi-final. We, I think we had three um, late-night events um, leading up to this, which was kind of like the knockout stages. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were very well attended, very well managed, no issues at all. Um, and then when they, you know, when they made it through to the final, um, he said, Look, "This is going to be very big." Um, so they had a, they did a lot on social media. We had somebody from a trade mission over in Brazil had heard about this flamenco fan club. Wow! Okay. Um, we, well, I think they're the largest um, fan base outside of Brazil. They've got forty million fans in Brazil alone. Mm. Um, so it was, you know, it's phenomenal. So anyway, the, through 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 the president of the Flamengos and then coordinating with our kind of sales team here, um, the pub was filled. I mean, on the on the on the night of the final, um, we had they had a, a march up from uh, the centre of town. You know, police, you know, police escorted march. They had drums and all sorts wow, going okay. on. So they walked all the way through town again. I have to say. You know, impeccable behaviour with the fans, um, and most of the fans who filled here were people who'd been coming al- along anyway to us. Um, and then for those unlucky ones who couldn't get into here, um, we then um, were able to start filling up our sister pub. We've got a pub down in Battersea, so we took an overspill mm. over to there. Um, and I mean, you know, you you couldn't have asked for a more dramatic final as it was. I mean, the emotions were it was equivalent to the probably even better than the Man, Man U beating Bayern Munich in 99. Wow, okay. I mean, they literally, mm. literally, with five minutes to go, they were losing the, the final, and they turned it around and won. So mm. the celebrations were just, well, crazy. And then they all um, went back down into central London to celebrate. Mm. Um, and, and then the very next day, um, they weren't actually playing, but they actually were. They clinched the league title right. because of uh, other results that went their way. So mm-hmm. we had a few die-hard fans come in just to watch. I think a lot of them were, um, let's say, uh, a little bit tired from the previous night's exertions. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, yeah, they, they so they clinched the league. I mean, you know, to win the Copa Libertadores mm-hmm. and then the league title in the same weekend, amazing. And mm-hmm. and and now. Um, they're going on to the Super Cup final, which is um, the, the knockout stages are happening next week. Mm. If they get through that, and if Liverpool get through that, it's going to be a rerun of the uh, their last meeting in 1981, I believe, right. when Flamengo played the, the, the fantastic Liverpool side with Rush, Dalglish, Sunas, mm. Hansen, all those. Things. So for them, it's it's just a huge, huge event. So. Fantastic and. Uh, how long have you been showing their games for? And I suppose how often and when are they generally on? Well, we only started um, uh, sort of midway through last year. Um, their season had already started. They generally play on a uh, on a Sunday, um, usually at uh, kind of seven eight o'clock, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a, it's a perfectly good good time for us. When they get a um, a big event, when they get a big event on, um, it can be late night. So then, um, yeah, we've only had, as I say, three three of those uh, events that run late into the night. But generally, it's a good it's a good time for us. Um, we can utilise the space in the pub. Um, it still doesn't affect anybody else. I mean, they've had even some nights where we've had um, you know English football on. Uh, again, 
we book our Flamingo Fan Club upstairs. Mm -hmm. um, people still can go up and play pool up there. They're looking, oh, you know, who are these? And, and it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a, good, it's a good, good atmosphere to be able to have in there where you've got, you know, fans of all sorts. And, and if it clashes with anything else, um, I mean, we have Formula One fans, mm -hmm. NFL fans, but, you know, they're, they're, they're they, 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 they look after themselves. They always, they, they always um, communicate well in advance, so we know. So we don't just get suddenly a load turn up on the doorstep. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they're very active on social media. Um, so for any sort of events coming up, they'll post right. I think we're going to do a ticketed event for the uh, the final one where yeah. fans will um, apply for a ticket online. So we can control the numbers. Um, the, on the big final, um, we were in uh, liaison with the the police because they'd seen posts about a fan club or what's what's happening there mm. um they came up um they met us in the pub they were very happy we communicated with them throughout the day and in the night when they were leaving we said look you know the hands are in good mood they're going back in and so the police were very happy from that point of view. brilliant and um what impact does um does showing their games and i suppose they run to the cup of libertadores final as well what impact has that had on your business as well i suppose how does it compare to, I suppose, trading and football? How does it compare to Premier League matches, other ma other sport you might show? Um, well, I mean, the timings are there is quite good because if it's at like seven or eight o'clock on a Sunday night, that's traditionally, you know, it's not one of our busier times. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's uplifted in sales on those nights by probably what twenty twenty five percent, and um, you know that. And that only gets more as they run up to the final. Mm. Um, the only uh, the only um, consideration that we've had is where we've got. I mean, their next. I think their knockout stage is next Tuesday, so we've got quite a few Christmas parties already booked. Mm. However, we're able to um, give one floor off to our Christmas parties and still accommodate a lot of the fans downstairs. Um, but then what we've decided to do, we've decided to liaise with our, our pub down in Battersea, so where they haven't got as many bookings, so we said, right, the bulk of your people you know, can go down there. Because, they, they, you know, they like to be um, around their, their big groups of fans. They like to have a good sing-song, you know, so they, they do like to sort of um, celebrate uh, loudly that. But I, you know, I have to say, we've never had any incident of any nature, which... You know, there's always a consideration with the large crowds watching sort of football. Um, but they, they, you know, they behave. They thank the staff. You know, they help clear up glasses. They, they, you know, they're, yeah, brilliant. A pleasure to deal with. And how does the atmosphere during their games compare to, say, for example, a Premier League fixture? What's it, what's it, it like? It's, you know, it's nothing like it. it. It's nothing like it. From when the, the minute they come in, before the game starts, they start singing. Throughout the game, they start singing. I mean, on that final. Um, I mean, I was stood uh, um, on the door um, with our security. So I said, look, where else would you see anywhere with you know, the whole place singing five minutes ago and they're about to lose the final, mm. as we thought then. And they just, they just you know, they, they're very passionate. They sing. Uh, they even brought some drums down. Which was Brilliant. A little bit, a little bit different. But we let them dress the place. Mm. You, know, so you know, they can really get into the spirit of it. And that, that's what they like to do. Um, they've had posts over. We've had we had a film crew over from um, Portugal mm. um, doing a live feedback there. We had numerous people trying to get hold. You know, we get into sort of what you know what's happening. So yeah, yeah, very you know very good. Very good.
Brilliant. And I suppose slightly closer to home, we've recently seen the long-awaited entry of Amazon Prime Video into Premier League broadcasting yeah. recently as well. I was just wondering, what did you make of their first foray into showing Premier League games? And did it have a positive impact on your business? It's a hard one to say. Um, I mean, you know, we, we, we use usually the Sky and the BT platforms anyway. So for a lot of people, um, it was like, well, hang on. How do we get all of them? You know, so, you know, we've, you know, we obviously um, realised back when it was first announced, I think back in um, September, October. So we, we made provision plans that, no, we want to show every premiership game that we can that's being broadcast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of regulars asking, but have you got it? To, to a lot of people, I think they just thought it was just business as usual. So they didn't realise the amount of work and legwork that we had to do to make sure that we were able to, um, you know, um, sh show the games. And we've done that across all of our four pubs. Yeah. So, you know, for us, it's important that, um, you know, if we're showing, and yes, pre you know, Premiership games especially, um, it's very important that we keep that continuity. You know, we, I mean, although we're local pubs in the local community, um, uh, it's not all about the sport. However, it's such an important part of what we offer. So, you know, we felt it was only right to make sure that we still deliver that. And then, you know, again, the, the program over Christmas, um, I, you know, there, there aren't going to be many venues who've probably signed up for that, but, you know, we certainly will be. Brilliant. And um, also in the, on the 7th of December, we saw Anthony Joshua regain his heavyweight world titles from Andrew Ruiz Jr. And I was just wondering, kind of, did you show it? And if so, how did the trading during that event? Yeah, we it? showed it. Um, all our venues were full. Um, we'd um, advertise it um, ahead of the, um, well ahead of the, uh, the, the date. Um, it was a ticketed event. You had to buy your, your, your tickets online. It was pre-booked. So, you know, again... From a control and risk point of view, we do try to minimise that, and we do do a, um, um, a risk assessment for any any um, event like that. But again, yeah, that was that was very well attended, um, and you know, very popular. We we don't show per se any of the boxing. We do sort of look for what are the um, what we think are the sort of uh, the gold ribbon events, and uh, yeah, certainly that was one. So we're you know waiting the uh, the announcement, the, the third part in the trilogy. Yeah, now, so absolutely. Yeah. And what impact does the busy sporting schedule over the festive season have on your Christmas trading? And I suppose, do you feel there's almost too much of a sport on over Christmas sometimes? There's never enough sport on over Christmas, you can't, you know, because we love our sport. Um, no, you've just got to, uh, you've got to set out and plan, you know, plan how you're going to um, show the sports and let your customers know, look, when they come in and they see, you know, a room full of... Um, reindeer antlers and Slade banging away on the... I think people do understand that, oh, you know, it's Christmas party season. Mm. Uh, but over the weekends, you know, when you don't... You, there's not... We don't get so many parties over the Saturdays and Sundays, and we'll, we'll, we'll show... We'll always show the sport. It's just whether or not... I mean, you're out for your... Uh, you've worked hard all year long. You're coming out for your office party. You'll know, you can see there's sport on the screen, but we don't necessarily have to put the commentary on. For Unless it was like a, a major... You know, top of the table clash or something like that. Um, so we, yeah, we, 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 we do give preference then to, you know, our, our, our booked restaurant seats. Fair enough. And finally, which sporting event are you most looking forward to in 2020, and why? Oh, the Euros are going to be huge for us. I mean, you know, the way that, uh, you know, England's um, gone through. I mean, dare I say it, we're earmarked as one of the favourites. Mm. So that will be, that will be massive for us. Um, 
And I think just to build on what, what all our pubs have done um, in the last year, I mean, we opened just at the um, um, the World Cup. Mm. I mean, and we were an unknown quantity then to a lot of people. People kind of stumbled on us. Now what we'd, what we'd expect with what we've built up... Um, uh, you know, our sort of social media, the the awareness that people have, and our regulars. So we would expect a very well attended event throughout the tournament, uh, and again, not just not just for the England games, the home nation games as well. So you know, we've got a few playoffs to get through for some of the teams that haven't quite made it. Yeah. So that that will be fun. But no, they'll be they'll be very well attended. I mean, you know, if the um, the end of the World Cup for us was, was anything to go by last last summer with not a great deal of chance to sort of market and promote ourselves then yeah we're looking we're very excited about that but you know for me personally it's the six nations i mean i can't i can't wait to get stuck into that because again the way england performed um over over in japan um there'll be a lot of people um looking to see how we do and then again when the um the, the autumn internationals come around um there'll be and there's payback time for the South Africa when, mm. they, when they come along so yeah rugby is going to feature massively with us but. fantastic this pub is um, in, in quite a, a good position it, it's got a, a diverse community around it there's certain needs that come with that as well and certain interests and they've managed to um, get South American football fans in for matches that wouldn't normally be shown in that pub um, what does this really say about about pubs in general I think generally it, it, it shows, you know, this, that this is a key thing that pubs are great at, isn't it? You know, is, is focusing in on niches, uh, fulfilling what, what their customers want. And, um, you know, any good pub should be able to identify their, their audience, be able to know, you know, the community that they're in, what it, what's, how that's made up. And, and how they can meet it you know we, we do see lots of stories and particularly sport is a great great way to do this you know we've had um, from the the famous three kings which has, has done a fantastic job of of really identifying those um, those small communities within its wider area and and putting on the sports and uh, not just football but I mean everything from handball to Canadian ice hockey to you know the, the most uh, sort of unusual sort of uh, things you wouldn't expect to be televised and you know, probably tiddlywinks you know and that um, they've they've really built an, an exceptionally strong business um, uh, around that and a lot of it is down to uh, to focusing on those those niche communities within that um, obviously you know if you're a pub out in uh, the middle of nowhere it's, it's a different kind of uh, thing but the, the rules are the same you know you, you, you work out what the community is and you adapt your offer to to supply that you know I mean just because you're not in a big city doesn't mean you're not going to have um, a community of, uh, of immigrants or uh, people from overseas near you you know often in those rural areas you will have pockets of, uh, of people who are, are working in a packing plant nearby for example you know if you can get hold of you know the Lithuanian Premier Football League if such a thing exists I might have just made that up um, then you may find yourself uh, bringing in a whole new crowd on a on a miserable wet Monday afternoon in January so um, why not it's, it's all to the good yeah it's, it's one of the things that a pub can do really well it, it's finding that need for a community and to build a community and, and pubs are capable of offering that whereas other businesses can't especially yeah. in today with the likes of libraries closing and post offices closing and even corner shops closing the pub remains the focal point of many communities and it's important to draw those crowds in 
Yeah, yeah, it's about being the uh, the heart of the community, and I think those uh, sport does provide a good opportunity for that. But it's not just sport; it, it can be anything. I mean, you, you you touched on it there with uh, post offices closing and shops closing and this kind of thing. You know, if you've got the option to uh, to add a few strings to your bow, um, you know, you're open at those hours. It doesn't; it's not not a huge hardship to to add some services on, um, and it's always worth looking and speaking to people like Pub is a Hub. Uh, can help set you up with those kind of things but um, there's lots of opportunity out there. Very heartwarming indeed Ed. Uh, so uh, now from sports to pub food. Last month I went to the Tanner Brothers Gastropub, the Kentish Hare, to find out what the duo have in store for the future. Possibly two of the most famous brothers in cooking, James and Chris Tanner opened the Kentish Hare Gastropub in 2014, having both racked up serious time in the restaurant business. But what attracted the pair to this industry and this Tunbridge Wells venue in particular? Well, I've got them both here, so why the Kentish Hare? Hi there. What a great question to start with. Why the Kentish Hare? Um, the Kentish Hare was actually the Hare and the Hounds, which was... Um, a rundown shut pub. The site that we're sat on now was actually um, one of the propositions was it to be knocked down completely um, and flats to be built. We're in a, a lovely semi-rural village, um, you know, randomly close to London, uh, close to two big towns. We saw a market, um, a market that we thought, you know, for the commuter belt, for locals, and um, you know, the site is beautiful, but it needed some serious TLC. And I mean serious. Um, and uh, we thought, can we do it? Shall we do it? And um, we did, and I'm so pleased that we did. So was there a lot of elbow grease in from the two of you then? or? Yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's a big, <clears throat> big year for us this year, 20 years um, in business with restaurants in Devon and obviously in Kent. And, um, yeah, we... we uh, it's uh, sort of that saying, two minds are better than one, really. Um you know, we've both got different views on perhaps the way things should be laid out, etc. The, the, everything, the whole thing. Um, the good thing with this site was that because it was literally from scratch, we were literally able to cherry pick where we wanted everything to go. Uh, and I think that was important, especially from like a, a, a cook's point of view, chef's point of view, because sometimes kitchens get overlooked with architects, etc., um, we didn't have a massive space to work with. Um, we were unsure of the cover count. I'm glad we did what we did. Um, you know, we still scratch for space, I think, like everybody, you know, um, as you evolve and you get bigger. But um, right from the beginning, it was, um, we, we sort of had a vision of what we wanted to do with the site. And um, here we are now. Why a gastropub? You mentioned, you know, you've been in the industry for 20 years. Um, what drew you to a gastropub? Was it just the next step in the evolution? Yes, I think so. Because it was a pub before, um, we wanted something for the local community as well. And um, yeah, okay, we do food. But to have a, a place where you can have a nice lit fire in the winter months, where you can bring your dog into the bar, where you can feel relaxed, where you can have a good selection of mixed drinks... Um, right across the board and also wines as well by the bottle the gl glass or carafe we do that with our entire cellar um, great ales great beers something for everyone but something that could be chilled and then the food um, is another part of the business uh, don't get me wrong I think you need to do food let's face it to run the business as a whole and its entity with regards to your turnover and 
cost this this what we're saying costs a, a lot of money and um, a lot of money comes in and a lot of money goes back out and um, you need uh, the food uh, the, the dry and wet sales to go hand in hand to um, to cover your costs and uh, to, to boost the business forward and, and also use the site more use every every inch of it you can um, not just for kitchens and nice toilets or somewhere to sit but um, you know the beer garden outside the terrace at the front is there enough parking for people the disabled facilities um, is everything on the right level um, for easy access um, it's just everything like Chris said it was a bit of a blank canvas and um, this site gave us the opportunity to really go for it I think it's important to say as well that yeah actually the community and the locals are quite important to what you've done here just the way you've set it out so it's almost 50-50 split isn't it between the bar and, and the dining area massively yeah. I mean as, a, as you know we had to be really careful with it and exactly like James said you know um that they did <clears throat> a little bit of food before it wasn't anything sort of up to the standard that you know we really wanted to put in um so we were extremely conscious of that um and also you know that we weren't going to alienate the locals um you know we sponsor the cricket team which is great business for us um when the visiting teams come in in the summertime the garden just packed and you see it's such an eclectic mix of people we get in this site yeah. on Friday afternoons. Um, you know, the electricians, vans rock up. Most of them do work for us anyway. The builders, it really is from sort of, you know, four till six white van man territory. Um, and I think that's really good to see. It, it really, really sort of hit home with me when I saw that initially in the beginning because I think that really was a tick in the box for us that we'd got it right and we got the right mix of what we wanted to create and also the ambience for them and we didn't want them to feel alienated and stuff like that. Um, I, I, Yeah, I mean, even, you know, six years on now, I mean, it's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But um, I'm particularly, personally, extremely pleased with the way that the mix of people we get and um, just the way that's evolved and actually they're, they're very very receptive to what we do which you know is it, it, it's great it's, it's great sense of achievement you mentioned food there and we're actually here today for the Australia Down Top 50 Gastro Pubs regional dinner um, tell us about the Kentish Hairs food how would you describe it to a complete stranger fresh I'd say fresh local ingredients, but when I say local, of course, from Kent, the Garden of England, where we are, but because of our ties with the West Country and also our great connection with suppliers um, down west as well, with stunning produce, we actually uh, cross-use the ingredients from this area and the west at both sites. Um, how to describe our food? I suppose, you know, is the term modern British? I'm not sure. There are some European influences thrown in there, I suppose. Um, but just just great, not messed around with too much, but really, really high in quality, big time on ingredients, from day boat fish to, to meats that have been hung that extra length for us through to vegetables that have been dug up, um, to, our, to Colin, um, our local man that pops up at the back of the kitchen door, with that tray of beautiful Kentish strawberries and then raspberries later on in the summer. Um, we're on the phone every day um, 
negotiating not prices as such but what have you got coming in next as the season changes um, let's embrace that and put that on our menu what's the uh, what's been a good landing at the moment for this month um, with some sustainable seafood um, what's the best marble in a fat and a piece of beef um, and how long it's been air dried for or um, in a salt room um, all it's just constant and also you know we liaise and our teams liaise we can't do this without our crew and when I say crew it's crews because um, like our, our head chef here was our sous chef um, he's worked for us for 14 years down in, um, in Plymouth um, but our other head chef down there has been down there like 12 years with us as well they, they liaise with each other sometimes we even come up with dishes and we'll, we'll test run and trial at both sites and very different markets but um, it's interesting because our ethos is the same same ingredients and um, yeah I think just uh, simplicity is key so that, that sort of staff retention is, is pretty phenomenal it obviously means that you're good bosses yeah, well yeah we're brilliant to work for what are you talking about <laughs> yeah of course no we've um, yes we're, we've got lots of people that have been with us a long time and it's interesting, not just in one site and both sites, 240 miles apart, opposite ends of the country. Um, you know, like James said, David, our head chef at the, at the Kentish Air, um, <clears throat> we took him out of college uh, 14 years ago um, when he was 18. And um, he's, he's evolved into this role. Uh, he knows ex- he's worked side by side with us both for 14 years. So our two key guys... Um, are basically extensions of us you know um, it's really really important to try and surround yourself with sometimes people that are better than you you know um, so you can push each other etc but yeah I, 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 I GMs but we're, te- we're not to, it's not one or two years we're it's ten pa- years. pastry chefs nine years um, what, back west GMs 12 years two girls on the floor 10 years we've not changed kitchen porters in nearly six years down there um, at the Kentish Air, GM's been with us from the start, nearly six years. The uh, assistant's been with us from the start. The supervisor's been with us from the start. Um, and one of the KPs, he was, I think it was about two or three months after we opened. Wow. So we've got a lot of people that have been with us a long time. And also, we've spawned a lot that have come through our kitchens as well. Um, some even now, like, you know, Ellie Wentworth, who's head chef at the Angel. She, she's been up to do guest chef dinners with us. Um, you know that that's nice to see that sort of ten years after she worked for us, you know. And um, it, no, it's good. It's good to see. That's incredible. Um, what's next for the Kentish Hair then? What, what have you got planned for the future? Uh, just keep pushing with what we do. And I know there's that is a big term, isn't it? I'll push on. But we've always done that. But just try and improve on what we can do. Um, keep our offer current. Don't stay stagnant, and it's not just for the Kentish Hair. We've learned this over when we first opened our first site in '99. You can't stay stagnant because you get left behind. So always try and look for that um, that next that next step, or just within your food, within your drink offer, um, within uh, the environment. Um, but also, you know, the uh, the possibilities of um, outside events. Uh, we very much enjoy doing anyway, and I I do personally anyway, but. Also, as us as a team, uh, with our crew, um, you know, going around people's houses, private dinner parties, we get approached for weddings, all kinds of different things. I think it's, so, quite, it's a good market. We, we quite enjoy that side of it, and it's different, but we, we stick to our roots by, you know, we're not going to 
would, would only like a, and it's not to do with price. Don't I don't want this to sound wrong, but you know we're not going to rock up and do a cheap sausage roll buffet or yeah. something. It's got it's got to be quality and fitting with what our business yeah. is because whether whether we're at the Kentish Hill or other site or at someone's home or at an event, uh, consistency is key, and um, it's just trying to keep offering that quality. Yeah, and that's that's what that's what we're about. It's about everything's about quality. It's got to reflect what you stand for and what you want. Big, to, to big time, yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, and we've 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 been adamant. You know, our uh, our vision hasn't changed from twenty years ago when we decided to go solo and you know lose the safety net of a of a well paid job or whatever and um, and try and do it for ourselves. But definitely, definitely with the Kentish Share, the outside events. Uh, and private dining is, is I, I think, is going to take us in a, another direction, which is the exciting bit with this, um, and it all links up with our southwest business as well. Yeah. So it's perfect. So speaking of the southwest business, what's next in the the Tanner Empire? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're always we've we've always we've always getting approached, and we we make a note of what goes on in our own environment. You know, both both here in Kent and down in Devon. Um, there's, you know, a, a few other opportunities, you know. Will we rule out doing a pub in Devon? No. Um, maybe finding the right site, you know, but... I, I think it, it, it is to do with the area and the site. I mean, it, there could be opportunities up again in the southeast and the Surrey region as well. Um, and it's kind of on that... Some people think it's weird because, you know, you've got one at one end and one at the other, but it it really does work because a there's two of us yes we're hands on but we got the fantastic crew but like for me when I'm up here I can go down to Tunbridge station and be in town in 45 minutes on a job and um, it's just the links work now you never know try and might get one in the middle there's, yeah, there's other knows. like Dorset yeah. area we've discussed as Ham- well in Hampshire possibly you know Hampshire yeah. here sounds but, it, quite but nice you know I, I think the site's got to be right the area's got to be right and ultimately obviously the numbers have got to stack up the yeah. deal's got to be right um, you know you do let's face it you see a lot of failures there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment um, let's be brutally honest no one knows um, what the outcome's going to be with the government and everything else and so we look at the economy and the business side of it and the figure side of it and what people can afford, what people can spend and also what we can afford and what we can spend because we, we can't do it for nothing. We need to get a return on it and that's the hard bit. Well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for a, a hair near my house. Um, but thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to uh, to see the food tonight. It's going to be amazing. Thank you. Well, thanks for being there. Great. It was uh, really great to catch up with the Tanner Brothers, actually, Ed, and they are on the 2020 Australia Dam Top 50 Gastropubs list as well. It'll be revealed in Kent later this month, and uh, sportsman, head chef and owner Stephen Harris is actually cooking for us. Very nice. Um, but what, what's really nice about the Tanner Brothers is that they could quite easily have used their name, um, the high skills that they've gained, to create just a destination food pub and ignore the local community around them, but they haven't. How important is it that gastropubs do continue to engage the community and be that, that local drinks pub that people can gather in? I think it's vital, isn't it? I mean, the, the big part of, of that name, gastropub, a pub is part of that. And I think you, if, you, uh, if you ignore that, then what differentiates you from a restaurant? Um, 
yes, people will still come, but it, it takes away the essence of, of, of what that business is. So, you know, I'm, I'm always cheered if I if I see a, um, you know, a fantastic food-focused pub that, that does an amazing job on food and is renowned for it. But you go in and, you know, you're just as welcome to, to have a drink at the bar or there's a, there's a, a drinking area, you know, that it, is, it retains that traditional... Um, uh, pub feel because um, it, it's important and you will have a local community. I mean, some places have become gastropubs by necessity because they've had to become destination uh, and, and pull people in. But there's still an element of community around there that won't want to lose that sort of uh, pub environment. So, no, for me, I think um, it, it, it's a it's a key part of the business. We should be supporting it. We should celebrate it. I think. Um, Anyone that's looking to, to move into that more food-focused space, and please don't ignore the drinkers as well. You've got to... It's part of the mix, isn't it? it, it it's it's the sort of uh, the heartland of the pub. So uh, to to maintain that and, and to keep that community involvement as well does feed into to the wider business. You know, if you've got a... The, I remember speaking to, to one of your um, uh, top 50 guys uh, last year at the event, and... Um, he made the point that you know he wants people in there. He wants people drinking. They don't all have to be eating. And he says nobody wants to walk into a, an empty pub that's all laid up for food and there's no one in there drinking. And there's no atmosphere. There's no. Uh, it, it's dry. It's rather sort of clinical. Um, you want those people having a good time in your pub because that feeds into the to the wider atmosphere. It makes people feel more relaxed when they're in there eating. Um, it just makes it a more pleasurable experience, doesn't it? Yeah, and of course, those locals are your core customer base. If you can get them to keep coming back, you know that you're going to have a certain amount of business every week when maybe the weather's a bit challenging or it's January. You know, you're going you're gonna to have a pocket of consumers who yeah, as long as you've got that you vegan menu on there. And, uh, the vegan yeah, menu yeah. on. Alcohol-free drinks. Sorted. <laughs> okay, I think that brings us nicely on to your interview uh, with William Lee Jones, Ed. How about introducing it? Oh, right. Okay, sure, Nick. Um, I mess up with William and his local, uh, the Vale Royal Abbey Arms, which is in Cheshire, um, and really just sat down to have a chat with him to find out uh, what his thoughts were on the state of the trade. Generally, how, how are you seeing things at the moment? How is trade? Um, trade's really weird in that um, the summer was always going to be really really hard after the hot summer last year uh, the rugby uh, didn't really work for pubs because it was all at the sort of wrong time um, no matter what your politics are the sort of consumer confidence and the election and the Brexit um, September and October are tough tough times in pubs and November's carried on being tough and we're all kind of waiting for the uh, Christmas craziness to begin, which uh, will start in a couple of weeks' time. You mentioned the rugby, so no, no joy, but how did that go? It was a bit of a waste of time. Um, you know, I think that um, you know, it, it was just the most brilliant competition. Um, we, we had a few free trade accounts, rugby, um, rugby clubs, where they were really, really busy. I looked at some of the footage of things like the box parks in London, and um, we didn't get any of that. You know, I think that. Unfortunately, yeah, we're in rugby league land in the north here, um, but it's all about it's all about football and a combination of the um, sort of egg chasing sport and the uh, the time zone meant that um, it, it didn't really do much for us. Okay. And what do you, what do you see at the moment? So what, are, what are the big challenges? I mean, you've touched on sort of the political. But what else is sort of keeping you awake at the moment? 
Um, it's just that sort of it's that confidence that sort of um, you know we saw it in the summer where um, you know you, you have a little bit of sun and then uh, that gets people back in the habit of sort of going to the pub and at the moment um, we, we're seeing just people um, staying at home um, I think that we're, we're into this sort of almost predictable pattern now uh, I think last weekend was a big Christmas shopping weekend uh, certainly in Manchester, it's um, it's all a bit crazy with the Christmas markets, but it's giving people an excuse not to come into the pubs. So you know, I'd be um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that it was uh, it was pretty tough at the moment. But this time of year, we always say to everybody, you know, it's all about Christmas, and uh, it will all be about Christmas, and um, that's good because it's on a Wednesday this year, so we get a um, an extra weekend, so to speak. And what would you say? There's sort of opportunities. What are the things that you're, you're sort of looking at and thinking? That's, uh, that's where we need to be going. I think there's lots of stuff that, um, at the moment, every time I go somewhere, people talk about sort of experience and stuff, uh, which is great. You know, whether it's playing um, darts or golf or doing crystal mazes. My, my only issue is that once you've done it, um, you probably don't want to do it again. Certainly not for about a year. And so we're kind of getting this sort of back to basics hospitality uh, approach. You know, the stuff that we can see that's um, you know, absolutely no doubt that um, whether it's meat free or vegan, you know, from food, that's important. Um, not drinking, you know, when I say, you know, the, the sort of whole low and no category is something that's. Um, it's still tiny, but you know there are people who don't want to drink alcohol. But it's you know, you've got sort of Stocktober, and then you've got Dry January, and then you've got all of these things where, um, when we look at the sort of long alcoholic drinks market, um, everything's just a bit flat. Do you, as, a, as a brewer, do you see that sort of low and no uh, sort of trend as a, as a threat, or, or is it an opportunity? It, well, it kind of takes me back to um, you know, when I was um, living in London years ago and um, I, I used to quite dr like drinking Swan Light and um, you'd have a pint of a sort of Germanic lager um, that had a really strong flavour to it and then you'd have two or three pints of Swan Light which didn't have any alcohol in it and I, and I think that the current lower alcohol drinks are much, much better quality and so I can see people getting sort of quite excited about them. But it's a tiny part of the market. And a bit like how you sort of segment the lager market between sort of standard and premium and world and super premium, whatever. I think that the customer doesn't quite see it like that way. Uh, the customer just sees, you know, I like that pint. I like that drink. I want to buy it again or I want to try it. And I think certainly with a lot of the, um, sort of the more crafty type uh, beers, you've got a lot of... You know, what we used to call sort of um, clickers, like the sort of people that they, they, they want to try it, but they want to try it once. Yeah. So you've got less loyalty, which, you know, from our perspective, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing because we're brewing a wider range of beers than we've ever brewed, and certainly some of the more weird and wonderful ones, um, they seem to sell out quite quickly. But um, you want to kind of get things more into the mainstream, perhaps. So no plans to launch a zero beer No, and I think that um, if my cousin Michael, our head brewer, was here, he'd say that um, you know the alcohol 
is a fundamental part of the flavour of beer, which is why working with international brewers who've got all the tech to um, really focus on that category and get the flavour to come out that's personally um, you know I think Heineken Zero is a really really good beer I'm not sort of endorsing it and saying William Lee's Jones drinks Heineken Zero but certainly um, it, it's got a flavour it's got a mouthfeel and I think that they've probably done uh, the best job of beers that I've tasted in terms of replicating um, a good beer with a, a, a sort of zero alternative but um, it is a sort of um, zero alcohol beer so it's basically a soft drink So in terms of that, you are a, a long established uh, family brewing business and um, touched on sort of, uh, the, the international uh, brewers with their technology things like this well, where do you see your, your sort of operation evolving? You've got a real legacy there does that make it more challenging to, to change and evolve to meet these sort of changing trends? Um, so yes and no. I, th- I think that um, you know, when we look at our peer group, that um, you know, we don't want to be too um, ahead of the curve because I think you know, the paranoia that you get if you're running a long-standing family business is that you don't want to be the person who turns the lights out. And so I'd like to think that our business is reasonably predictable both in terms of the things that we do and the quality of our earnings and so you know we we just want to run um, best in class really really good pubs and to brew uh, really really excellent beers um, in whatever category those might be Recently, you've, uh, you've you've been expanding into that managed model more. Is that fair to say? Yeah. No, we've been um, we've, been, we've been growing the managed part of the estate. We've particularly been growing our hotels and inns uh, part of the business. We now have 293 bedrooms under management, and so in that 52 bedroom uh, sort of four star hotel uh, segment, we've seen a lot more opportunity and. You know, the sort of typical BMW 3 Series, 5 Series type um, driver who um, would rather stay in a pub than um, a a branded hotel chain. Um, And we just see that as a really great opportunity. And you look at, um, if you look at the Fuller's deal, that, um, you know, I don't know whether the deal to sell the beer business to Asahi is a good deal or a bad deal. It certainly is an awful lot of money. But the fact that they've been able to almost immediately buy a really high-quality um, hotel group in the Cotswolds strikes me as really good use of the money that they've brought into their business. And you know, we're doing things that are not completely dissimilar in terms of growing that part of our business. Can we expect a, a sale of the, uh, the brewing side? Okay. Absolutely not. Um, now we really see the. Um, we see the brewery as the heart of our business, and you know, it would be, you know, I think it's quite predictable. Quite a lot of regional breweries have sold their free trade, and then they've completely um, focused on the pubs. Uh, for us, we're completely opposite. But our strategy is to put the brewery at the heart of the business. If anything, to restrict the range of, of beers that we have uh, within the business, and to improve the 
hospitality experience and what people are enjoying in the pubs and it's almost one of those things where people um, they love talking about the brewery and they love talking about individual pubs and so that sort of vertical integration putting the two of them together in my mind couldn't be more relevant but then when I look in our peer group uh, particularly of the larger breweries there's only really us uh, Shepherd Neem and St Austell who, who, who are still doing that at a, um, a large scale in terms of their brewing. And that, that managed sort of shifting tonight, do you see that as, uh, as the right direction of the future for, for your estate or do you think that's still that goal for the, uh, the tenants in the east side as well? Uh, so, some of our highest performing pubs are in the tenant and lease sector and um, we call them our pub partners and certainly those that are operating with a really high degree of flair um, in my mind will always be in the tenant and lease segment and we want those businesses to be successful uh, we don't want to go to our pub partners and saying oh by the way we're now going to manage that business um, because we don't have the magic dust that they have to do all the sort of crazy things that they're doing and so I, I think that we will very much continue to build uh, a balanced business with both the beer business, the managed business and the pub partnership business because um, that's how it works best for us. How do you, how do you decide which is the right model for your, for your pubs? Um, well, without getting sort of too sort of predictable about it, um, we have a format um, in fact, we have um, three or four mats, four, three or four formats that um, are the managed pubs, and so the pricing is the same, the food offering is the same, um, the standards are the same, which means that we can develop um, assistants into managers, um, chefs into head chefs, um, and all of the back office that sits behind those is completely replicate. You can replicate it very, very easily. So um, that's how we sort of add value on a sort of um, a larger scale those tend to be the busier uh, bigger pumps uh, but then we got some sort of outliers the, the really exceptional ones and um, they will average um, considerably more than the pubs that we're managing and we have no intention of taking those back under management um, then on the other side of it on the, on the sort of smaller pub side which is very much where we've come from with the sort of end of terrace smaller uh, tenanted pumps if we don't think that there's a, um, a a reasonable living to be made from the pub partner, uh, we've been actively disposing of those pubs on the basis that um, we've got to have a win-win partnership so that we, we tend to be funding most of the um, expenditure into the pubs and then supporting the pub partner to make that pub tick. And we'll work out, you know, yeah, we can get a great deal on the fixture and fitting because we've got great kitchen people who can uh, who can fit out kitchens but actually the entrepreneurial part of the business comes down to that pub partner um, adding like I say their sort of magic dust that um, makes it a sort of slightly different business. Uh, that was really interesting to hear uh, William's 
views on the sector, Ed. Uh, but that's all we have time for. Um, but before we say goodbye, on the 27th of January, we will be revealing the 2020 Australia Down Top 50 Gastropubs list. So keep an eye for that, top50gastropubs.com. And don't forget, you can keep up to date with the latest pub trade news by visiting themorningadvertiser.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next month with more interviews featuring people in the pub trade.